Welcome to Outside the Lines, the podcast of our hosts, Bob Cheviar and co-host Scott Shannon. Bob and Scott are longtime teaching pros in Westchester County, New York. They have both been ranked in the top 15 nationally in men's 35 and 40 and over singles and doubles. Bob is also the author of Deconstructing Tennis, the 4D System. Their goal is to help players gain a more in-depth understanding of many aspects of tennis, which are often inadequately addressed during the course of their development. Bob and Scott would love to hear from you on topics for future podcasts. Hi, all. Welcome back to Outside the Lines. I'm your host, Bob Cheviar, and I'm here with my co-host, Scott Shannon. And today, uh, well, first, let me just say, I hope you're all having a great holiday season. Uh, we, we were quite busy ourselves, and it's been a little bit of a delay since our last doubles podcast. But Scott, I would like to share with our audience that our How to Make a Game Plan in Doubles podcast is now our number one rated podcast in our brief history together. And I've had a few people run into me in the lobby of the club saying, I listened to that or I passed it on to my son-in-law and he's really gotten so much out of it. So I think we're, we could obviously always want a few more listeners, but we're, we're doing better and better all the time. And we're getting a lot of good feedback on what we've done. And we're going to go back today. We're not going to speak more about doubles, but we're going to go back to some our doubles podcast because it seemed to some of the listeners that we were contradicting each other and they were asking me, well, Bob, who's right? Was it Scott or you? And I then framed the discussion differently and they began to see that both of us could be right at the same time. Do, do you like that, Scott? Yes, yes, because I, I think that that's, yeah, there's, you know, things are not just totally black and white. I mean, sometimes uh, on a purely mechanical basis or scientific uh, topic, you can get very close to a right and a wrong. But in like what we're talking about, because we're also working with, the mental side of tennis, you're talking about human beings in a performance art and it's very subjective and there's lots of variables. And I think that the fact that uh, we see things differently sometimes and have a different uh, understanding of, of what to do or which way to go, I think is a, is a reminder of how you have to, you know, think outside the lines. Oh, excellent use of the title. So in any case, before um, we forget to mention, today's topic, which we're going to go to, is the recently reviewed movie, King Richard, about uh, a certain period of the Williams sisters' upbringing. King Richard, of course, refers to their father, Richard Williams, who was their coach uh, during the early years of their career. And he, he um, did quite a job taking these two young girls out of nowhere, growing up in a ghetto, Compton, California, heading to the tennis courts, getting in some fights with people. And he was quite an interesting character. Uh, first of all, Scott, as you were mentioning a little while ago, 
before we started the podcast, he was a man with a vision. He had this vision of the girls becoming great tennis players. When he saw Virginia Rizich win a tournament and get a $40,000 check, and he said to himself, man, this is some easy money I got coming right here. I'm going to raise a couple girls and that paycheck's coming to me. So what do you think about that part, having that vision before the girls were even born? Well, I think it's really uh, astounding. And uh, I am, I'm constantly wondering, like, first of all, how did he know he was going to have girls? <laughs> Right. And second of all, how did he know he was going to have these two girls who just had incredible amounts of physical talent and also, I think, very highly intelligent. Um, so it, it's really an astounding uh, story that uh, that is told in this movie. And the man really was prepared to do the work and he had incredible confidence in how things were going to work out. Yeah, I, I think Will Smith did an incredible job because he had to integrate, really, there was like the two sides of King Richard, Richard Williams. He was at one point, he was a jokester and he gave tremendous amounts of positive feedback to both of his girls. But on the other hand, he was a guy who, to me, seemed to like to pick a fight. And if something wasn't quite the way he wanted with a tournament director or with the guys who were hanging around the park trying to uh, pick up one of his daughters, he was the first one to want to step in there and rough things up a little bit. And at least according to the movie, I had no idea of this. He was beaten up a couple times in the park before... Uh, the the young guys who used to come around and hang out there began to see that he was trying to accomplish something good and they adopted the girls sort of uh, they became their protectors rather than trying to interfere with their training. Uh, so when we look at, I mean, one of the one of the comments from the film, by the way, for everyone who maybe has not seen it this film pretty much picks up venus and serena from the age of let's say 10 and takes them up to 14 or 15 the last at, at the age 15 venus we don't see her playing tennis anymore but she's now signed her first big contract so it takes us through that developmental phase and Remember, Scott, this was at a time when tennis pretty much was a country club sport. People were wearing all whites, and there were very few. There were occasional breakthrough athletes to that mold, like Althea Gibson, Yvonne Goolagong, Arthur Ashe. But largely, tennis was a country club sport. So what Richard Williams saw was really something special. How do you break through into this, what was sort of a closed system of producing the world's best players? It was a very uh, enlightening uh, expose of that whole thing in terms of black people were really not integrated into the tennis system uh, until 
you know, and it took a while, even off after Althea Gibson, who I think was the original breakthrough, and then Arthur Ashe. But uh, I had a, a very um, good coach, Jerry Aline, who we have mentioned on this podcast in the past, and he was black, and he was not able to play certain kinds of tournaments, pro tournaments, when he was young and in his prime, and then finally played at Forest Hills on the grass there later on and was still a good player, but, you know, very, very late in his career. So I know firsthand, uh, not firsthand, but I knew secondhand through my coach uh, that these challenges were formidable. So I have a lot of respect for uh, Richard Williams in the way that he pushed through and he did not let anybody give him no for an answer even though they were rolling their eyes and Vic Braden was saying, you never really are going to be able to uh, move forward with the girls with the decisions you're making. You have to be more conventional and da da da. He never really was taking no for an answer. So uh, that, was, uh, that was very impressive, I thought, in terms of how he was gonna make this work. Yeah, I mean, I was, at least under the impression, <clears throat> and it could have been just me that was wrong, that he was their sole coach until maybe 14 or 15. But that wasn't the case. At the age of uh, 10 or so, Venus and Serena both started to work with Paul Cohen, who is an established, excellent coach of top-level players. And the way that was portrayed was really, really interesting. First, he was pretty much saying, Paul Cohen said, I can afford to give my time to one of them, but not both. So Venus was given the lessons and Serena was sort of put off to say, hit with your mom. And at one point she's saying, I don't wanna hit with my mom. She gives me all sliced junk shots. And uh, you can't get any rhythm or anything out there. And her father said, your time will come. Well, it ends up that as we go through the movie and we see the role of Oracine, that she was quite a formidable force in a couple of ways. Number one, emotionally, Richard Williams, as I was saying, was looking to pick a fight and sometimes he got in his own way and she was really, really a strong person in being able to speak up and call him out and say, you need to rethink this. Whatever this situation is, we're not, we're not going along the right road right here. And to his credit, he listened to her. And then with respect to the tennis as well, she was the one at that time then with Cohen who was working with Serena on her tossing motion for her serve. And it ends up, she was instrumental in developing probably one of the, well, maybe the greatest serve in women's tennis uh, at this at this point in her career. And she's obviously um, built her whole game around that beautiful shot. So Oracine was also, this movie was called King Richard, but she was instrumental in developing the girls and helping to provide the emotional support, which provided the sort of foundation from which they could go out there and compete. Um, 
What did you think of the scenes when the girls did play for that one brief period? I think they mentioned the record of Venus in Southern California, 12 and unders was 63 and zero. So she was setting herself apart before they quit, but they showed quite a few scenes of other junior players and their temper tantrums and the tennis parents. And I found that all extremely entertaining. Yes, I was going to say entertaining for sure. Uh, you know, also just, you know, a little bit of a reminder of how catty and how unserious many of these uh, younger girls really were about their tennis. And when Venus got out there, she was like a thousand percent serious, had trained like a like a crazy girl and was really ready to rock and roll. And these other girls were like, really not up to the task of of putting everything out there they were there more like whining and complaining and really having uh you know bad attitudes and one of the things that uh that richard williams was saying that he didn't want his girls playing in the juniors uh after you know between the ages of 12 and 15 for those three years one of the reasons was the very, very negative behavior and the, 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 the backbiting and the uh, you know, nastiness that went on uh, with a lot of them. I only saw, and it was good that they did it, I only saw one of the girls who befriended them. And remember when she was in the picture and she had lost in the finals to Venus and yes. she was very gracious and smiling and obviously she had her head in a good place about the whole win-lose thing. So, you know, they, they threw that in, uh, which I thought was, was important. Um, but well, Scott, uh, just to go back, I had a student um, some years ago who was recruited for college tennis, uh, ended up stopping after a couple of years, but one of the kids he grew up playing with in the boys 14 and under, ended up finishing second in the sectional championship and my student was getting a ride home with him and they left the parking lot of the club and the mom said to the boy roll down your window and he rolled down his window and then she said throw that piece of junk out right now because he came in second so there was his trophy or medal or whatever he got being chucked out of the window because losing was so horrendous. I mean, hopefully with all of our students, whether they're juniors or adults, we're keeping the winning losing thing in perspective. And I do think that was one thing that Richard Williams uh, helped his girls with and, and Oracine as well. They, they, they definitely wanted to win very badly. They competed well, but it wasn't the end of the world if they didn't win a particular match. Uh, Bob, let me throw something in that, uh, yeah. you know, I was just reminded of from, from the movie. That family was very tightly knit. Though they had five girls in that family and you have to you have to believe because Serena and Venus were co-producers of this movie. 
And I think the accuracy of the movie has been attested to by a lot of people. Uh, but those, the, the attitudes of all five of those girls when they were together was really incredible. You know, they were very respectful, but not in, not in for fear of their lives, but you know, they um, were really a positive unit. And I think that the, the, the love and the, you know, that existed in that family, I think showed Venus and Serena that, you know, it wasn't all about were you coming off the court as a winner, uh, though you have to try your hardest, but you have all of these people in your family that are in your corner and love you and support you. And they knew they, they had that in their life. So there's yeah. a security. So help us to remember, I, I'm, the name of the movie is slipping past me, but he had all the girls watch a film together. And then at the end of the film, he said, tell me the lesson. Cinderella. 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 He said, tell me the lesson. And no one came up with the answer he wanted. So he said, we're going to watch it again. <laughs> That's when Orisine spoke up. And all the girls were groaning at the same time. And, yeah. and she was like, no, Richard, we're not going to watch the film again until they get the right answer. So right. Um, that was a that was a great example of they had the respect, but they also at a certain point could also speak up and say, "Uh, -uh we're not going to this this next place. Now, one thing, a lot of the online comments, uh, you and I are both uh, frequent visitors to Lloyd Emanuel's tournament website from all the guys that played in our generation. And one of the most talked about things there about this film is the, the realism of the strokes of the actors. And numerous commenters had said there were some movies going way back, like Woody Allen made a movie about a guy in Brooklyn playing tennis. And when they did the tennis shots, it looked like he was a 3.5 player, not battling for one of the top spots in the world. What was your impression of the film, the, the feel of the tennis that we got to see? Um, well, I mean, the girls, uh, Venus and Serena, those girls, those actors, I mean, they could hit the ball. They looked like uh, tournament level players. Uh, and uh, I think that that was uh, very important to have that. So I think they uh, cast um, you know, the characters quite well in, in that respect. Uh, I know that there were little, there were a few times when watching uh, the, the pros uh, feed the ball, you thought there was might've been a little bit of awkwardness, but uh, I think that they uh, did a pretty good job with giving us the, the look of Rick Macy and Paul Cohen and you know, just gave us enough realism so that you didn't get like disconnected and say, oh, this is just like so like like beginners like playing the parts of these pros that mm -hmm. it would put you off, right? Because you know, you have to let your mind stay in the in the story and just go along with it. So I thought they did a very good job with uh, how they um, portrayed all that, don't you? 
I, I do, but there was one minor thing that I'm not sure um, if anyone else picked up on this, but the, the young woman who played Venus had on her forehand the modern take back of the sh shoulder turn with the left hand staying on the racket throat and then make a little circle and make the shot. But Venus's forehand, if you remember, was like the old style with the wooden racket, bring the racket back all the way. So in that one respect, I did see like, if we're trying to be true to history as much as we can, this girl who played the part of Venus hit the ball beautifully, but Venus only wishes she had used that technique at an earlier age, because once she straightened it out later in her career, uh, with there was that one year, maybe four or five years ago, where she got to the finals of three grand slams. Uh, incredible achievement. Right. But part of what helped her to achieve that was she did make a pretty big technical change on her forehand and hit much more like the young woman in the movie with the modern preparation and her shot. So um, I, th I think also that the tennis was very realistic and of course, there was also the scene with Arancha Sanchez in only the second match of Venus's pro career when she was 14 out in Oakland. And Arancha used the bathroom break in a quite aggressive way to turn around a match that she was losing. What did you think of that, Scott? Yeah, I mean, it really made me upset. Because, you know, here was uh, Venus on the verge of really breaking through, finally getting to play tournament matches. And Sanchez, like, stooping down because she couldn't stand to lose in general, I guess, but couldn't stand to lose to this very young, up-and-coming uh, newbie and was going to pull out all the stops and do whatever she, you know, could do to change the balance of that match and derail Venus. And I think it also speaks to something that still exists today because we saw Sissipas do it in, was it in the French that he took the 13 minute uh, break? I think it was. Yeah, and the tournament is not controlling this enough. And it certainly wasn't under control back when Venus was beginning to play tournaments. And the players could, especially if you were number one in the world, like Arancha, the, the players could just run over the tournament directors and the tournament referees because they were the, the box office attraction. And I think that that really... Uh, irked me uh, in that that I hadn't really realized that there had been that little caveat in terms of that match that uh, that Venus ended up losing, and uh, I think that they really portrayed the disappointment. But then you know, pretty soon after that, they got by it, and I think then the sky was the limit. Yeah, I mean. There was the other, the business side of the movie as well, where early on, before getting into this tournament, she was given a wild card. 
early on, one of the sneaker or racket companies came and said, we'll sign your daughter for a million dollars. And Nike. they it were Nike. there. It was Nike. And Rick Macy was the coach at the time. And he was there with Richard Williams. And he's like, congratulations, you've <laughs> done it. And Richard says, no, I don't think so. And he asked, uh, Venus was in the room at the time and said, well, Venus, this is your deal. Do you want this deal? And she said, no, no, thank you. I don't want this deal. Well, it was about nine months later that she signed, I think, with Reebok, with someone else for $12 million. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, they had, a good, they had a good instinct about what that offer was. And, you know, you have to think that the Nike rep was trying to get in early and get something that they knew was a sure thing and get it cheap. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that uh, the instincts of the Williams were, you know, very, very astute. And I think it was interesting that uh, Richard Williams said to Venus, do you want this deal? Like he's asking her, not just making the decision like he was doing for everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, he gave it to her and she was thoughtful. So, you know, I think that, you know, again, that the intelligence of the family and the intelligence of the girls and the strength of their own convictions uh, was there. Yeah, now in, in those negotiations and a couple of other times in contact with, tournament directors, Richard Williams seemed to feel that racism was just below the surface in his negotiations, like that first offer when he was told a couple of times by the Nike rep, your accomplishment is unbelievable. He took that to mean no Black person could ever do this or achieve this. What you, it's a miracle what you have done. He took, I mean, I, when I heard that comment, I thought it was more about out of income level, because you and I both know the expense it takes to create really good strokes in a student. There's a lot of time, but almost always, if you have a good coach, it's going to cost you some money to do that. Um, and I was taking it more from that point of view, as opposed to um racism but how did you react to that scene i took it from uh, i took it from the racism point of view and i'll okay. tell you why it wasn't okay. the nike coach it wasn't the nike representative who said that it's when they went to that country club where everybody that they was there and they walked in everybody was white and it was True. this pearly white country club and then they sat mm -hmm. down with these these like slightly older not, not very old but these these mature men who were sitting there and you know they were being presumptuous presumptuous and they made the comment that it was unbelievable mm -hmm. and he immediately said well why do you think it's unbelievable because we're black uh -huh. and i think that they had set the stage there to say yeah can't you see that the whole world is white and you guys are black and so it's unbelievable and so i think he was very quickly able to uh see right through their comments even if they were just being like subconscious idiots uh coming out with like what they normally 
would discuss in terms of this and mm -hmm. not sensitive at all to who they were talking to in front of their face. And, and I think that it was a very, they were very awkward in that moment. They were like, uh-oh, we really mm -hmm. put our foot in it, didn't we? Right. And they got nothing out of that, right? They got nothing out of Venus and Serena. Yeah, he, he left the table and he yeah. took off. Um, so there was, in terms of their training, there were a couple of scenes where Richard didn't hesitate once they were with other coaches, either Paul Cohn or Rick Macy, from the sideline to interfere with what the coach was actually doing. And the one thing that he kept saying over and over was open stance, open stance. And I forget exactly which coach it could have been Macy saying, no, you know, you got to step in and get the flow. And Richard Williams was like, you got to recover into the court and play defense. So was he one of the first ones with the open stance? Or do you think it was going on and people just weren't talking about it that much? I think that that's what it was. And I think that he recognized and saw it because, uh, you know, Bob, you and I have taught tennis for a long time, almost probably a hundred years between the two of us. I must oh say. gosh. But I remember <laughs> yes. learning, learning to teach even my not beginner, beginner players and, and, and not little kids, but, you know, either, uh, you know, juniors who were, uh, you know, learning how to hit the ball pretty well and or adults that were coming along. I remember learning just by teaching and looking at it with my own mind. The fact is that you can't always get the left foot down on the forehand and drive through the ball mm -hmm. and that the ball's coming too fast. And then I said to people, look at the pros playing on the court. They are doing out of necessity what they have to do when the balls hit, let's say cross court, fairly wide and with pace, they're going to get over there. They're going to put their outside foot down and that's the end of the footwork. They're going to, they're going to load and they're going to explode into that shot from there. They're not going to put the left foot down because they don't have enough time to put it down. So there is no need to put it down. Mm -hmm. And I realized that this whole idea of like always getting the shoulders around and squared off and stepping in with the left foot was sort of an impossible task once the pace of the ball started to increase. Right. So, so I think he was very observing in terms of uh, that. He was. I mean, Orosine did claim that she was the first one to spot that and taught Richard about the open stance. But uh, be right. that as it may, <laughs> I, I can share that uh, back in the day when I first became a pro, my co-worker, Chris Busa, brought in a pamphlet, which he had found somewhere online, uh, not online, it would have been, who knows how he found it, but the name of it was Ballistic Tennis. And it was about how the powers all coming from the shoulder turn, setting everything up. So whether you step into the ball or not is immaterial. You've got to get this, this turn started to get the stroke going. Um, and I, I, I have searched online to see if I could find a copy of this pamphlet, Ballistic Tennis, because it's really like part of the history of tennis, 
someone maybe for one of the first times saying that, no, this is the really important thing in the game. Uh, but I have not been successful with that, unfortunately. Uh, I remember I remember my coach teaching me about rotational momentum, by the way, Bob. Uh -huh. and, and, it, and it didn't have to do with stepping into the ball. It had to do with turning into the shot. Um, is this Jerry Aline you're talking about? Talking yeah, Jerry, yeah, Jerry Aline. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was, you know, basically from a physics point of view in terms of how energy is produced, how momentum is produced. Uh, and so that rotation became the fo focal point as opposed to worrying about where your foot was going. And then if you look at baseball and golf, you get that rotation. That's where the power comes from. Because like baseball players, they don't step into the stroke. Uh, I analyzed it once. And what they do is they put that foot down in the front and then they turn on it and they actually go backwards as they rotate. And mm. they get a tremendous amount of power in the swing. And I'm like, wow, this is not what a tennis player does generally in terms of what, what conventional wisdom is, is to step into the ball and transfer the weight forward. So... I really had a good time uh, trying to figure out the nuances of all that momentum generation. And the rotational momentum is a major component of being able to get speed on the ball in tennis. So overall, Scott, if I had to say to our listeners, do you want to make some time for yourselves? Uh, it is a pretty long movie, two hours and 24 minutes, but I found it very entertaining. I learned something about the Williams sisters that I didn't know before that made me actually like them quite a bit more than I might have otherwise. Uh, and I would highly recommend the film. How about yourself? Yes, I did think it was also very entertaining and the acting was tremendous. And I think that the, the writing and the way they uh, work the timeline, um, you know, was, you know, very understandable. The one thing we didn't touch on, Bob, and real quick, I'll just say it as as we get ready to finish up. Yes. Uh, we'll never know whether the, the Williams girls would have been as good if they had played junior tournaments before Venus turned 15, as opposed to what they did, which was not to play junior tournaments between the age for her, 12 to 15. She played junior tournaments for a little while before that, but didn't like go through the whole national and traveling and all that stuff. And you got to figure that, you know, Richard was a visionary and he might've just gotten a little lucky too, because that whole thing could have backfired. You never know, but these girls just had a great work ethic, tremendous talent, and, you know, I think they had him and the mom, as, as you've really emphasized, the mom was a major factor and influence in their development and their sustainability as they grew through the juniors. And, you know, it's, uh, the proof is in the pudding sometimes, and they certainly proved it. Well, Scott, I couldn't agree with you more. There's no way to tell if they had played tournaments they might have ended up just as good as, or even better, if you could believe that, than they have 
as players. There is no way for us to tell. And I had definite in agreement with you about the fact that I think they're both extraordinary talents. And some of the things in their training may or may not have made the difference for them because of their just because of their talent level. So attributing the fact that they're successful to the fact that they did not play juniors, I don't think we can actually say that. On the other hand, just quickly to relate to the people we uh, work with, I do advocate taking, because right now USTA tennis is pretty much a 12 month a year proposition taking a couple months off at some point during the year and just working on your game and not playing matches in the middle of that experience. It's on the practice court that you can find out something new about yourself and build confidence in what you'd like to do. So from that point of view, I think Richard Williams had a great idea. Would I suggest to our players, let's take three years off and then <laughs> come back to the game. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. But that idea of taking, you know, making a period for training and having a focus on what you'd like to do differently, I think is crucial if you want to keep improving. And how can you improve if you're constantly under pressure in terms of playing matches and, and, and of course, feeling the need to win? and putting the emphasis on your results and not on the process or being able to do repetitions and train without the worry of the consequences so that you can create better muscle memory because that's what you need when you're going to go into your matches. You need all of the training to be correct because all you do is play and have fun. Once you get in the match, you can't work anything out except for your tactics and, you know, your strategies and changing, you know, some of those things, but in terms of how you move and how you hit the ball and you know, what your mess muscle memories are, you're just going to go out and play. You're, you're, you're not practicing when you play a match. You're right. right. So you're absolutely so, right. Getting that yeah. time is very important. So, um, Listeners, we are going to sign off. I promise uh, a few days before the Christmas break starts, we will have game plan and doubles part two. So when you're traveling, you'll have something good to listen to that will keep your mind working with respect to your tennis. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, everyone, for listening.